They've only come after him one time tonight, according to Next Gen. Second and one. Looks left. Hold in. Sterling Shepard. How about it, Eli? Joe Tessitore's call last night of the Monday night football winner for the New York Giants, Eli Manning, late touchdown. His 36th career game-winning fourth quarter drive. Third among uh, active quarterbacks since 2004 behind Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger. Tanner Hoops with you in studio, joined by Charlie Bramer on this Tuesday afternoon. You watched Monday Night Football last night, Charlie? Thank I did you. not catch the game last Pre- night. Better game than I think a lot of people thought it would be. Two teams that are not good, that are not going to make the postseason this year. Good reason still, not to watch, but I'm glad you were rewarded. Football. There's entertaining football out of it anyway. It ended up being better than... A lot of the Thursday night games that have been on here lately, although yeah. Packers-Seahawks this week. That could be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that game. I just hope the Packers can contain Russell Wilson and mm. everything should go as planned. Well, hey, defense is looking better. I mean, what a concept. You get rid of Dom Capers, defense is picking up for Green Bay. Hey, hopefully, hopefully that, that is a trend that continues upward. Um, what do you think of Aaron Jones last week? You think he was looking pretty good. He oh, bounced man. back after the fumble. Big, big game. Um, his yards per carry just won't go down and um, really making things happen. What a weird week in football this week. Now that we can recap it, what happened to the Bengals' defense? They give up 51 points. I know the Saints are good, but their defense was pretty good, and they were coming off a bye. They reward that squad by hiring Hugh Jackson. I mean, he, he wasn't out of the league long. He wasn't even out of the division. He goes just across the way. He didn't even leave the state, did he? Cleveland to Cincinnati. And he's right there as a special assistant to Marvin Lewis. Um, I don't get it, but all right. Two guys that managed to wiggle their way mm-hmm. into an NFL locker room every weekend. Huh? Maybe I could manage to do that. i got to pick up a few pointers from you those guys. You might be guys. next. You My and goodness. I, maybe. Well, if they can do it, right? Hugh Jackson right back in the league. I wondered if it would be him, maybe Jeff Fisher, who got back into the league first. If you would have asked me a few weeks ago, I would have thought, you know, someone might give Hugh a chance, but I don't think it'll be for another year or two. Jeff Fisher is still so well-connected in the NFL. He's got a lot of friends still in the league, and it's been a few years since he's been there. I would have thought Jeff Fisher would be the first one to come back, so... Kind of wonder at what point he does get a shot somewhere. I mean, the Browns' job is open. Maybe Jeff Fisher's just enjoying his time off, huh? Maybe he's just enjoying being Jeff Fisher. Yep, he was really getting slammed there for a while, so he must be enjoying that time off. You know, and then Sean McVay comes in, and he turns the Rams from what they used to be with Fisher, just a laughingstock, into a power. One of the teams that may contend for the Super Bowl this season. So what a weird week in the NFL, coupled by the fact that Matt Barkley looks like Matt Hall of Fame Barkley. He he looked ridiculous. I know he played the Jets on Sunday, but man, 41 points. And maybe it's just the fact they don't have a lot of film on him after being out of the league for so long. But what a concept. Matt Barkley suddenly looks like an NFL quarterback again. Yep, any given week. Any given week, right? And the Patriots lay an egg against Tennessee, and it makes you wonder. Mike Vrabel, I think, is a really good coach, especially on defense. Makes you wonder what that Tennessee team could be, what that defense could look like if Mike Vrabel had any players that you had ever heard of. I mean, nobody knows anyone on that Titans team other than maybe Marcus Mariota and Derrick Henry, maybe not for the right reasons. Um. Yeah, that Tennessee team, obviously the last time the Packers played them, they whooped up on the Packers. They always play tough football, mm-hmm. um, but like you said, do they really have any players that anybody's ever heard mm-hmm. of? Maybe that's a good thing. It could be. It could be. that Maybe that's what's attributing to their success, but they've still got some work to do as far as catching a red-hot Houston team. Tell you else who is red-hot, though, getting back to the, the Saints right now, and they look like the most complete team thus far in the NFL to me. What about to you? What stands out to you after 11 weeks? Oh, geez, I I really have to agree. The Saints are looking good. The Rams just keep winning. Um, you're going to – my favorite team from the AFC has to be the Patriots still, mm-hmm. even with that loss. Exactly. Um, but, you know, being an NFC North guy and looking at the schedules, I still really like the Packers' odds. That was a yeah. must-win against the Dolphins, and they got it. Um, it's basically must-wins from here on out. Mm-hmm. And then if they can go 1-1 one and one against Atlanta and Minnesota, looking yeah. at the schedule, 
they got a really good path at getting to 10 wins then. And I'm assuming that's what they would need to make the playoffs this year. Do you think 10 wins wins the NFC North, or is that good enough for a wild card spot? It, that has to at least be good enough for a wild card spot. Um, I don't know. That's such a 10 wins probably would tie for the NFC North. Yeah. I'm going to have to win those division games. Well, what might hurt the Packers, though, is that tie to Minnesota. If it does come down to a tiebreaker situation, that tie to Minnesota, unless it's the Vikings they're uh, knotted at the top with, then that tie might be the difference. And that would, um, I mean, obviously that would be, uh, you know, they they play the Vikings again. Like like you said, that's almost going to be a must win. Um, But they did beat the Bears week one, Mm -hmm. so against the division, Obviously, they got whooped by the Lions, but against the division, other than that, they're they're looking pretty good so far. As long as they can essentially win out, they have to go ten and five and one, I would think. Well, I'm looking at the Packers' schedule right now and what they have coming up the rest of the season. Obviously, they get Seattle on Thursday night, and then they have ten days off to prepare for Minnesota a game in Minneapolis, which very well could factor largely in part to how that division shakes be a out. Huge game. And you can't take Seattle for granted. I know they're not what they used to be, but they're still going to put up a few tests as far as uh, what Green Bay would have to do to go to the Northwest and win. Yep. So those two games are going to be tough to get through on their own. Then you have the Cardinals to start off December, and they should win that game. That should be a winnable game. And after that, home with the Falcons, and then visiting Chicago, who's been playing well. Those could be a couple of toughies, but... If they're in good position entering the last two weeks of the season, they play the Jets and a Lions team that looks like they have just been demoralized, like they have no hope anymore right now. Yep, and that's why looking at that schedule, if they can go one and one against whether they lose to the Vikings or the Falcons, those are two toss-em-up games. If they can split those games, I really like their odds. I mean, a betting man would have to like those odds. What if they lose to the Seahawks on Thursday night football. How does that change the odds for the Packers? They essentially would have to win out then at that point. Obviously, they'd have to win out to get to 10 wins. Um, if they lost that game 9-6 and six and won a lot of years, you know, that's going to be a 50-50 type of deal. Does that get you into the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Um, they would certainly need some help, and and you don't like – Batman does not like those odds. <laughs> so you look at the, what the Packers have left in their schedule, and again, those games, the most winnable ones are Arizona, Detroit, and the New York Jets. They probably need to win all those three. If they lose any one of them, then yeah. it's likely they're not going to make the postseason. But assuming you can count those three for wins, then they're sitting at 7-4-1. and one. You need to get at least two more. You have to get to nine wins no matter what. Ten is better. But nine, you think, is very likely the Packers' path to the postseason at the minimum. And you look around, Seattle might be the next most likely. Yeah, and that's another reason why this Seattle game is going to be such an important one. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, maybe the Minnesota game. Obviously, they are two different teams since then. Minnesota's starting to come around on defense. The Packers are starting to get a little more consistent on offense. And the defense seems like they're stepping up despite HaHa not being there. It's like... He was the veteran, the leader, the general for that squad. And now that there is no one guy they have to turn to, everybody's starting to step up and take on a share. I just want to throw this out there. I know I was always, I've always slammed Jermaine Whitehead, and then I was saying, oh, maybe they'll cut him. And then they did cut him ever since he got ejected from that game, that defense. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like that was the turning point for that defense? Some addition by subtraction? I, I mean, obviously, I always say, you know, oh, I don't have anything personal against the guy like I know anyone mm-hmm. that plays for the Packers, but uh, there was just something about him, man. I've never seen him make, you know, you guys get burned, but then you like to see him make plays. Mm-hmm. I've never saw him make a play, even really in preseason. And the Packers, it seems like that's how they've been shaping their roster as of late. Uh, over the offseason, it was adding players. Mercedes Lewis finally had a big play last week. Now it seems like they're really getting the best out of their roster by maybe removing some players. And then um, guys like Raven Green, it's giving some really some no-name guys uh, an opportunity. And 
they're finally hitting on some of these undrafted players this year, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime they've had a real, really big run, there has been an impactful undrafted player, if not two or three. Um, so maybe that can be a difference this year that they haven't had in the past. Charlie Bramer's in studio with us. Last thing before we go to break, Charlie, who will be the biggest threat in the NFC North to the Packers this season? Will it be Minnesota or Chicago? And tell me why. I definitely think it has to be Minnesota because of the quarterback play. Mm -hmm. And and that's really what it comes down to. Um, You know, people always say, weather starts getting colder, run the ball. Obviously, Aaron Jones is going to be a big piece, but it the NFL now it doesn't matter what time of year it comes down to quarterback play and Trubisky's just shown to be a little too inconsistent and Kirk Cousins a big game quarterback and so is Aaron Rodgers and that's why those two teams are still my favorite atop the north um Chicago still has a lot to prove I from my perspective you look at Thanksgiving weekend and maybe it's the NFC Championship going down at U.S. Bank Stadium. Packers it'll, visit the Vikings. It really could be. That, that's going to be a great game. And Aaron Rodgers is going to have to make some big plays in that game. That That's going to have to be the, the what was that, the 2016-2015 playoff game mm-hmm. against against uh, uh, in Dallas against the Cowboys. Yep. He's going to have to make some big plays like in that game if the Packers are going to win the division. Well, in a pack, as a Packers fan, you wouldn't have it any other way than trying to claim the division by beating the Vikings. Certainly. You just wish that it could have been flipped. And I always prefer having the Packers play earlier in the year in Minnesota than later in Lambeau. And obviously this year it's flipped around. We've got Charlie Bramer in studio with us. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and we'll talk college football after this on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bramer in studio with us. As always, he's the man with the pigskin payday update. Well, the Pigskin Payday is back. Head into the Ojibwe Casinos to predict each winner's pro football games. Play all season long for your chance at the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casinos in Barriga and Marquette. Well, we have uh, college football to discuss. We've looked over the NFL early on. You look at college football this week, and you and I were talking off the air. Let's start with the Big Ten West. Wisconsin is not going to represent the West in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship. Iowa's not going to do it. So who's going to do it? It's Northwestern. What a weird year. The Northwestern Wildcats come out of the woodwork. They knock off the perennials in Wisconsin and Iowa. And in all likelihood, they'll be the sacrificial lamb for either Michigan or Ohio State down at Lucas Oil Stadium. But what a year by the Wildcats. And you really can't pick out a superstar on that team. I mean, is Clayton Thorson their best player? He's like the college Eli Manning, you know. You can probably walk backwards faster than he can run. He just sits <laughs> back there and throws. And yep. Pat Fitzgerald brings the best out of these guys that you couldn't pick out of a catalog. Yeah, good coaching. And uh, just they seem to make plays when they need them. Solid defense. And like you said off the air, the ball has just been bouncing their way. Um, also injury-wise, I'm not exactly sure. I know that's what's been haunting the Badgers a little lately. But the drama just keeps building as far as that Michigan-Ohio State game. You're you, just as a fan, you know, it's it's uh, you're just hoping neither of those teams lose until you know that. We've been hoping for weeks that mm-hmm. ne- neither of them would lose until that matchup, and it just keeps getting closer and closer, and fingers crossed. Urban has definitely had Coach Harbaugh and Coach Hoke even. He's had their numbers as of late. But if there is a year that Michigan can go into Columbus, not only beat Ohio State, but make a statement win and beat them soundly, got to think that this is the year. As well as that defense is playing right now, they have the best quarterback they've had in a long time with you know, albeit he's a rental, but Patterson has been putting up good numbers, good enough to get Michigan into the playoff talk right now. Got to think that this would be the year they can not only win, but they can make a statement. And I'm really hoping. It just, the last few times Ohio State eked it out against Michigan and Wisconsin, um, there was a, I think that was two years ago, 
it just seemed like the refs handed Ohio State both of those games. And I've just been, obviously I would hope that it could have been the Badgers, but even if it's Michigan, I just really want somebody else in the Big Ten to knock them off. It would just be just refreshing as a fan almost. Really nobody would be too upset at seeing Urban Meyer get, you know, bounced from the college football playoff once and for all and denied a Big Ten championship. Obviously, unless you're in the state of Ohio. Nobody's going to feel too sorry for him outside of uh, of the Buckeye State, especially not up here. He doesn't have too many fans. I wouldn't think so. Well, hey, let's talk about the college football playoff picture. Right now, you've got Alabama, you have got Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan as the top four with Georgia and Oklahoma, the first two out. The college football playoff rankings for this week will come out tonight. Did not change from last week. And how weird is it? The top 10 actually won. They all won. They went 10-0 and 0 last weekend. How many times does that happen? That doesn't seem to usually be the way it goes. You, do you think there's any change in the top, let's say, top six this week? Or is everybody going to stay the same? I wouldn't think so. They finally came around last week and started listening to you. Got your top four. <laughs> and I would think that it would stay the same. I wouldn't. Maybe a, they come up with a weird flip-flop every now and again, but you mm-hmm. wouldn't think anybody would drop out of the top four, out of the top four for any reason. No, you'd think that those guys are probably going to stay where they're at and in the position that they are, what have you. Um, it gets really interesting when you look ahead to these matchups. You wonder, who's the most likely to fall? Who's the most vulnerable of that group? I think Alabama, outside of their matchup this weekend against the Citadel, that they play the toughest remaining schedule, but I'm the most confident in them that they're not going to lose just because they're that good. I think Auburn and Georgia certainly are better than anybody that the other three will have to play this year, but Alabama's just that good that I don't think they're going to lose those games. Clemson going to the ACC championship, Pitt is capable of an upset, and Pitt's defense could give Clemson a lot of problems. Notre Dame has a Syracuse team that surprised a lot of people, ranked 13th this weekend. And then, of course, you've got the Ohio State game looming for Michigan. So out of those teams, who's the most vulnerable here down the stretch? Who's the most likely to lose? Well, I would have to say probably Michigan Mm -hmm. just because of that Ohio State game. Um, But, you know, like we've been saying, this, this really could be their year. If Clemson did lose one game, do you still think they'd have a shot at making it? No, no. I don't think their strength of schedule is good enough when you look at the ACC. I mean, they are the ACC. The Essentially. ACC runs through Clemson. I think one loss is enough to get rid of them. One loss will get rid of Notre Dame. And one more loss will get rid of Michigan. I think really Alabama's the only team right now that can afford one loss. And unless they do the unthinkable and lose two games here down the stretch, then they're going to be in the college football playoff. Or if they did lose to the Citadel? That yeah, might yeah. knock them out. That counts as three losses. That, that almost would have to. Then, yeah, then they are. Something's really, really got to go wrong for them. But, do, oh well. What do you think the odds are these four teams all win out? Well, I mean, obviously that's not possible. but Well, it is possible, but I kind of got my kind of got it switched around there in my head for a second obviously that is possible well what do you think the odds are of that actually happening it just staying has that happened yet for this many weeks if all these teams just went out that final four going down the stretch has that happened yet where it's just stayed the same four I think it's pretty likely I, I do I think there's a good chance of it all these teams should win all four teams I think should win it's tough to say that Michigan should go to Ohio State and win I think Michigan has a better team than Ohio State does this year. So I think all four should win. That doesn't mean they're going to. That's the mayhem of football. That that has to be the most uh, just toss-up matchup mm-hmm. of the final four teams, the Michigan-Ohio State. That has to be the closest game uh, you would figure. Like you said, Pitt, there there are still good good games left to be played. But just going down the, the stretch here, it's kind of, I haven't really seen this before, just the Final Four team mm-hmm. staying in place like this. And it may not happen. It may not happen. That's what college football is all about. Right? If there was a year for it, you'd think it'd be this year. I don't know how I had that switch up in my head for a second. I was thinking Ohio State was in the top four. That doesn't make any sense. Well, but, hey, uh, what, about, what about this, though? Let me throw a scenario at you. Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan all went out. 
they would all deserve to be in, would you agree? But Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. So all of a sudden, you have five teams with a real case to be in the top four. And you have got Alabama, who's clearly been the best team in the country all year, with one loss that came to the number five team in the best conferences championship. You have Clemson and Notre Dame, who are both undefeated. You can make the case that their strength of schedule isn't great, but they have done what they've needed to and taken care of business. You have Michigan, who, assuming they win out, win the Big Ten championship, they say, we're on a 12-game winning streak. Our only loss is to another team in the playoff that's ranked ahead of us and undefeated. And then you have Georgia saying, we just won the best conference in football. We knocked off the previously unbeaten number one team. We deserve to move up. I don't know who wow. gets left out there. Who? Yeah, how would that? Then, if that scenario plays out, then it would be, we have to move to six or eight teams almost uh, immediately. I, I had Charles Belt, uh, the assistant men's basketball coach in Northern, came in yesterday, and he was on the show with me, and he brought up that scenario, and he said, if that were to happen, that might be the best-case scenario for the college football playoff committee actually expanding beyond four teams. When you're forced with the possibility of not putting Alabama in, that's where college football starts right. to sweat. They will do anything right. to put Alabama in. And at some point, some somebody's going to get left out. If that scenario plays out, somebody who deserves to be there is going to get left out. And once Alabama starts pushing the boundary, that's where you really start to wonder if the college football playoff committee is going to expand. If Alabama's comfortably in every year, they're never going to change. That's what that's what they care about. Alabama equals ratings. It equals money. And if you have to force them to make a decision to leave Alabama or another deserving team out, then that's the only way changes are going to be made. And I don't – everybody seems to be – they want eight teams. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we couldn't just go six and then the top two get a bye. That seems to make the most sense to me. Well, you see, when you look at the eight-team format, I agree with you. I think you look at the seven and eight seeds, I mean, they're good teams, but they're not going to contend for the championship. You put them in there. Yeah. They're not serious contenders or anything so. like that. That would be the only sense in getting an automatic bid for the Power Five conferences like they do in basketball. I agree with you that the top six are the ones who have the realistic shot at winning a championship. But if we do that, we shouldn't do an automatic bid for the Power Five conferences um, because then you only have one at large. Yeah. You have a Pac-12 champion. The Pac-12 championship champion this year could have seven losses that's that's how unreal <laughs> the right. pac 12 is how the bad Big that Ten conference West. is it's ridiculous in that sense they don't deserve the automatic bid situation if we do top six but that's how i think it would be the best um you can make the argument then what if ncaa basketball shrunk down the bracket so that teams who didn't have a realistic shot at winning at all never made it and you can make the argument that the mayhem would never happen because you shrink down the bracket, you cut out teams like UMBC, who, you know, aren't going to win the championship. They never get the chance to take down Virginia last year. Yep. Or Loyola Chicago never gets the chance to make their run, and we never get to fall in love with Sister Jean. You, you can argue that the more teams, the more mayhem and madness, and that's what the action is. But obviously football's much different game than basketball and how the tournament goes through. So I'm with you. I think six teams in the college football playoff is perfect, but I don't think the playoff committee will ever change it until they're forced to with the possibility of leaving Alabama out. That that makes a lot of sense. And how many years is that going to be? Mm -hmm. how many, it took a while. The BCS was around way too long. And how many mm -hmm. years are we going to be stuck with four? It's just kind of, kind of funny that they didn't go to six right away. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, how that may affect things and how may it affect, you know, not only this year's tournament. Let's let's right before we go to break, let's take a look at just think about the matchups. If things play out the way they are with the top six right now and we had a 16 bracket, Alabama and Clemson get buys. Notre Dame takes on Oklahoma. That could be fun. Michigan would get Georgia. That'd Great be a games. lot of fun. Great games. Why wouldn't they want to do that? 
I mean, that's exactly. Cool. Why and wouldn't they? You have the Notre Dame Oklahoma winner getting Clemson, Michigan and Georgia winner against Alabama, what could be a rematch, the SEC championship game. I think it would make a lot of sense for college football to do this. Yeah, could could you imagine that? I mean, Michigan Georgia, that'd be a big game. And mm-hmm. then like you say, Georgia could win, then Georgia Alabama rematch. I mean, this would be off the charts for mm-hmm. college football. When they went to four teams, we all knew that they had made it a little better, but they still had the same problem to begin with. Teams were going to be getting left out. So it's just really peculiar that they didn't go to six teams just to begin with. Charlie Bramer is our guest in studio with us. We'll take a time out, and uh, we've got your weekly message from the MHSAA coming up. After that, special segment, we'll break down what the football playoff system would look like if we applied it to the NFL. That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Rekindling the fire, sleeper plays, and busy weekend. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. The season is over for the football team at Port Huron Northern, but the book certainly isn't closed on what was a historic high point for the Huskies program. Three straight winning seasons, something that hasn't happened in 20 years, and the first district title in school history. And it's having a ripple effect. All this recruiting stuff has uh, really helped out with the bringing football back to Port Huron, and especially with the younger kids like Taffel. I know, uh, uh, they all just want to be like number 17, I guess. So. <laughs> I mean, I went to a couple of their practices, and it's, it's, it's cool, but... Uh, you know, I'm just happy that football is starting to pick up in the area again. And That's junior linebacker Braden McGregor, who spearheaded a defense along with senior tackle Maurice Powell, which allowed just 12 points a game this season. You can read more about the Huskies on the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to reading quarterback Alex Price, who rushed for three touchdowns and passed for a fourth in a regional victory over Detroit Southeastern. And the football team at New Lothrop, which knocked off two-time champion Pawaba Westphalia in a regional final battle of the state's top two teams in Division 7 last Friday. You can watch both of these games for free right now at MHSAA.tv. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Our weekly Be the Referee feature takes a look into the fine art of officiating with Mark Ewell. Let's finish up the football season with this, you make the call. It's fourth down and five at the 30-yard line, and the offense begins to leave the field as the field goal unit comes on. One of those offensive players, however, doesn't make it all the way to the bench. He stops a step short of the sideline, essentially hiding out along the sideline. The ball is snapped, the holder stands and throws a perfect pass down the sideline to a wide open player, yep, that player that was hidden out at the sideline. Is this legal? The answer is no. This is a foul for illegal participation. A team can never use a substitution or pretended substitution to deceive the defense. Thanks Mark, you can be a referee. Go to the MHSAA website now to register. The weekend before Thanksgiving is certainly one of the biggest tournament weekends of the entire school year and certainly the biggest one for the MHSAA Network, MHSAA.tv, and FoxSportsDetroit.com. Literally hundreds of hours of live streaming audio and video will be available for fans unable to get to championship action in swimming and diving, volleyball, and 8-player and 11-player football. The Super Streaming Weekend begins in Battle Creek on Thursday with three straight days of action at the girls' volleyball semifinals and finals. Four matches will be on tap each day. You can watch all the action on MHSAA TV or listen for free at MHSAAnetwork.com. On Saturday, the Lower Peninsula Girls Swimming and Diving Finals will have live streaming video from three sites beginning at noon on MHSAA TV. Football action begins on Saturday at 11 a.m. with the first of two eight-player football finals from the Superior Dome in Marquette on the FoxSportsDetroit.com website and the Fox Sports app. The Division I game kicks things off in the UP, followed by the Division II game at about 2 p.m. 
Both games will be shown Tuesday night next week on Fox Sports Detroit beginning at 8 p.m. The Fox Sports Detroit Prep Zone will carry three 11-player football semifinal games Saturday beginning at 1 p.m., and those games will also be available on the Fox Sports app. And MHSAA-TV will carry the remaining 13 11-player semifinal football contests beginning on Saturday at 1 p.m., with many of those games being produced by members of the school broadcast program. All live MHSAA-TV video content requires a subscription. A month pass is just $9.95 and permits three logons. All audio streams on the MHSAAnetwork.com website are free, as is everything on the Fox Sports Detroit website. Users of the Fox Sports app may require authentication. So if you can't make it out to the games this weekend, the MHSAA Network and Fox Sports Detroit have got you covered. Join us again next week for another edition of This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSA Network. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops along with Charlie Bramer in studio with us. He's got the daily message from the Pigskin Payday. Well, the Pigskin Payday is back. Head into Ojibwe Casinos to predict the winners of each week's pro football games. Play all season long for your chance at the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casinos, Barriga, and Marquette. Well, we talked about college football and the playoff format that's going on right now and the problems that we may be uh, tasked with once we get later into December in the season, what have you. So let's have a little bit of fun and speculate. What if the NFL used college football's four-team playoff system? And it's not based on what you do in the league, but the NFL does it based on your resume, and they they have a selection committee for it. So let's speculate and have a little fun with this. If the NFL season ended last night with last night's 49ers and Giants game on Monday Night Football and we had an 11-week regular season, you looked around the league right now and what four teams, regardless of conference, should be in the NFL playoff, college football style, you're tasked with who deserves to get in and whose case you can make. Charlie, I've got my four. What about you? I think I think that's actually it's not that bad at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, picking a four, it's pretty clear. Who do you have? I have got the Saints, the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Patriots. That's, that's my four. And that's my four that's, and <laughs> Well, and I, I'm sure we have the same reasoning for it, too, is, you know, the Saints, how do you argue against them? They lost in their opener. They have won eight straight cents. I mean, they have been unbelievable. The Rams and the Chiefs, their offenses are both fantastic. They put up with lackluster defenses and still get a 9-1 and record. And I tell you what, I can't wait for next Monday night's game in Mexico City. How about uh, the Patriots? They're 5-3. and three. They came off a really bad loss this weekend against Tennessee. And not to say Tennessee's a bad team to lose to. Maybe it's the decisive fashion that they lost in. Nonetheless, that looks bad to close your case with a loss like that. And what, they're 7-3. and three. That's their worst start since, what, 2003 or something like that? Right. Some teams would kill for that. Well, a lot of teams would kill for that, for sure. But you look at New England... And how do you keep them out? They're, they're kind of like Alabama as far as the NFL because maybe they're not having an overly impressive year. Alabama obviously is this year, but years Alabama's maybe underwhelmed like last year where they were kind of a bubble team. They still got in, and I think that's the same way with the Patriots. For one, if the NFL has a committee, they know the Patriots equal ratings. They are a dynasty, and they have a good shot at winning the championship. The other argument is, if not the Patriots, then who? Who would be the fourth team? Chargers? That's that's about the, the one only that came team. to mind. Yeah. And the Chargers, I mean, they have a better record than the Patriots right now, but nobody seems to talk about them as a serious contender. I, I don't know why. I know that they're a, a team that's flying under the radar. I think they're a better team than people give them credit for, and they'll almost certainly get in as a wild card. But they don't seem to be a serious contender, and I don't know how much their past has to do with that or what have you. I don't know. What is it that you think is the reason people aren't giving the Chargers a lot of credit for their success? 
the Chargers had a lot of twelve and four seasons, mm-hmm. and then just had them go kaput. Uh, you know, you you look at their point spread. Wow, they've only given up 186 points against, and they've scored 240. Mm. Um, the Patriots have given up 240. <laughs> so, I mean, there are probably more statistics to get into that would really make a case for the Chargers, mm-hmm. but you still have to go Patriots. You, you can't. have to. I mean, no way an NFL committee would pick the Chargers over the Patriots. I mean, could you believe it? And we're not going to say Bill Belichick has any kind of conspiracy ties that he would have somebody inside the committee, but if there's any coach in the NFL who you would put up to do that, would it not be Belichick? Yeah, right. Um, Isn't this kind of what they're talking about doing in the NBA? And and I think this is what's going to happen in the NBA. Just top 16 teams. Mm -hmm. And obviously... That's a whole lot easier to pick than the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, just top sixteen teams, seed them based on record. Conference doesn't won't really matter anymore, I guess. Until at least the West starts getting a little diluted as far as their talent. But I'm not sure if I like that, to be honest with you. Because, I, I don't. Because despite the West being top heavy and talented, you have some really good races in the East right now. I think the West teams certainly have the most talent, but they're top heavy. The East boasts a lot more depth. Top to bottom, you get much better rosters than you do out West. And and then also, if they seeded it, just throw out conference, base it on record, you'd be losing those just those really good rivalry mm-hmm. games in the playoffs, those seven-game series. Mm-hmm. You, you'd be losing some of that, and I think that could really hurt the NBA in general. I think they know that. Well, you're a Bucks fan. And obviously they have a lot of reason to be excited this year. But we have four teams that could legit win the East this year. And they got a little company this weekend as Jimmy Butler made his way out east of Philadelphia. Now, the Timberwolves had a risk. They took a risk by bringing Jimmy Butler in. They saw how it worked out with Thibodeau, no less, in Chicago. They said, all right, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. And it happened to Thibodeau. He brought him in anyway. He knew what Jimmy was like. And it, he, he did react exactly how he did in Chicago. Worst case scenario. So now you have Jimmy Butler going out east. Certainly he's talented. But I'm not ready to say that this makes Philadelphia a legit contender, lone uh, favorite. I, I, I'm not ready to say that because you couple a guy like Jimmy Butler and his explosive personality with a guy like Joel Embiid, who always likes to poke the sleeping bear. He's the instigator. This is still going to be Joel Embiid's team. Is Jimmy going to be okay with that? Um, I mean, that that's going to have to be settled on the court. Mm-hmm. Who's going to have the ball in crunch time? Yeah, that's a... Um, and, and like you said, you know, how does he fit in with their scheme? I think pretty well. Mm-hmm. It. I'm really... Would you have taken the Rockets? What did they offer? Four first-round draft picks. Is it is it all based on the fact they did not want to trade Jimmy Butler within the Western it Conference? It had to be. It ha- I can't think of anything else. And it's like, why? You have uh, obviously the first-round picks are staggered throughout the next few years, but you have a chance to build up around guys like Wiggins and Towns. Right now, you've got role players that are not getting any younger. Guys like Luel Dang, who probably are over the hill, still have something to contribute. Anthony Tolliver, I mean, is getting real minutes for the Timberwolves. I mean, that tells you a lot about their role players. You've got to get some young talent there. They had the chance not only to get young talent, not just role players. They had a chance for first-round picks that are so valuable in the NBA. Couple them with the ones you've already got for the next few years and build up a superstar a dynasty for the next few years. They are not going to win the West this year. doesn't matter if Jimmy goes to Houston this year. They're not going to beat Houston or Golden State or probably uh, most teams. They're, right now, they are, let, let's say that they did send Jimmy to Houston. That's not going to stop Minnesota from no. finishing any better than ninth in the Western Conference this year. Who cares if Jimmy goes to another Western Conference team? I mean, who who cares? You're not playing Isn't for that, anything this year. That really seems like an old school move. Mm-hmm. Trade him only outside the conference. I I was, I mean, I was darn near shocked when when I heard the return for Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. after they didn't take that trade from Houston. And if 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 it was 
oh, they wanted players back immediately. Well, think of the draft capital they would have had if they would have acquired all those picks. Mm -hmm. They could have traded those picks plus their picks. I mean, they could have acquired just about any player in the NBA that they would have wanted. It's just a really strange move, and obviously they didn't even couldn't even get J.J. Redick out of the no. deal. No, they get Saric and Covington, and they give away Justin Patton, which is a guy that I think flies under a lot of people's radar. He's a guy that could very well contribute over there in Philadelphia. How did they not get a first-round pick from Philadelphia? It's that a terrible is move. so strange. Terrible move. And I don't know if Tom Thibodeau had a part in that or not, but regardless, this whole saga has cost him his job, in my opinion. I don't know if he'll be fired midseason or at the end of the year, but he won't be coaching the Timberwolves next year. He won't have anything to do with them. Yeah, I don't – how – I mean, they're not – No way he, no. he can. I mean, it's just not working, regardless of this whole Jimmy situation or not. They have a talented roster, and they're not winning is the thing. Um, so, no, Thibodeau's going to be gone – you look at Philadelphia, obviously they got a lot of talent there. And Jimmy, like you said, he'll fit into what they want to do with the system there. But can Brent Brown manage all those hotheads, manage all of those personalities? Because you've got a lot of divas on that team. I just see that being a toxic locker room when you mesh Jimmy Butler with Joel Embiid, throw Ben Simmons in there, and a guy like Markel Fultz who had so much hype coming on and he's very much underwhelmed. I feel like he's a guy that Jimmy won't clash with. I feel like he's a guy that Jimmy is going to be very hard on. And I don't, I just, I see why they did it. And I think it was the right move, nonetheless, because Philadelphia is going all in. They see this is their window after how bad they were, what, five years ago. They're going all in. This may be a terrible, terrible bust that blows up in their face. But on the other hand, it could win them an Eastern Conference title. There's going to be no in-between, and I like that they're going in and seizing their window. Yeah, I mean, the move, if you offer that for Jimmy Butler and somebody takes it, it doesn't matter what your roster situation is or what your – you take the you take Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just such a lopsided trade, um, not even having to give up a first-round pick. I, I'm just I, – I can't seem to get over that. Um, but in the whole grand scheme of things – you know, there's usually a little bit of a honeymoon period. I guess it's going to be a wait-and-see type of deal now. How how differently does Philadelphia really match up against teams like Boston and Milwaukee? I don't know if it really makes that much of a difference. we got to take a break, but we'll come back and touch more on that point. We look at, is there a clear favorite in the NBA Eastern Conference right now? Plus, what other NBA team is having turmoil in the locker room? That's next in the sports panel on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops joined by Charlie Bramer. Charlie, third time's the charm. It is, and the Pigskin Payday is back. Head into Ojibwe Casinos to predict the winners of each week's pro football games. Play all season long for your chance at the $100,000 grand prize only at the Ojibwe Casinos, Berga, and Marquette. Right, we were talking about NBA before the break. If the Sixers trade makes a case for Philadelphia to be the new favorite over in the Eastern Conference, is there any team that stands out to you right now above the other four? That's, that's the first part of the question, two-parter. First part is, is there any team in the East post the Jimmy Butler trade that stands above the rest right now? And the second part is, which of those teams, the four or anybody else from the East, would be the best matchup for Golden State in a seven-game series? Um, I think, obviously, well, to be matched up specifically against Golden State, you really have to like Boston's defense. They just play so hard on defense but then when you look at the statistics it actually could be Milwaukee but then you look at how good Toronto is and it's hard to pick against them and all their shooters mm -hmm. um but I'm gonna have to go with Milwaukee because you look at their overall net rating you look at their defensive rating their rebounding the only thing that really worries me about them is they turn the ball over way too much uh, Giannis is turning the ball over like six times a game. It's really weird. Uh, 
the coaches claim, oh, that's just what happens when you play this many um, possessions a game. You turn the ball over more. When you play this fast, you turn the ball over more. Obviously, they can go cold any given night, and they have. Um, they went to the West Coast. Big. That was a big road trip for them. They went 2-2, two and two, which is normally fine, but it's weird that they lost to the Clippers and the Trailblazers, but then they slaughtered Golden State. And beat the Nuggets pretty, pretty, pretty well. It was a good game. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of made me wonder. You know, are they showing up every night, or are they playing the big teams? You know, you really just getting a feel for a team. You really don't like to see stuff like that losing to the. Obviously, you like it when they beat Golden State. They beat the good teams. You like to see that. You can see their potential, but it really kind of makes you pause when. But then they lose to the Trailblazers and the Clippers. It's are they really showing up every single night? Because that's been a problem for the Bucks in the past, um, playing down to their competition, so to speak. Um, even when Jason Kidd was there, they would go on a two-three game win streak against some good teams, and then they drop one to the Hornets or something. But just overall in the East. I still really like Milwaukee and Toronto as my top two teams. Well, and I think you can make the same case for Boston as being inconsistent. They've got some big wins this year. They've had some losses they probably shouldn't have taken this year. But going back to your point about who would match up well with the Warriors, Milwaukee, I like them a lot because of their ability to shoot the three. You're going to have to do that against Golden State. I also like Boston for the same reasons you did. Their defense, I also like their depth. I think they go a lot deeper into the bench than Golden State can. And they're going to get more from the reserve players. You mentioned Toronto and their ability to shoot. Out of those big four, I did not hear you mention Philadelphia. Was that by intention? Are you sold on the 76ers, or are they fourth of the four on your list? They're definitely fourth of the four, just because I think that team really still has to prove themselves. They've shown in flashes, but they haven't done anything to really... And and, and the Bucks are still kind of that way, too, really. Mm Um, but just there's so many more younger players on Philadelphia. Bucks are doing a little bit more with veterans, so you like to think you can count on them a little bit more. And then also, obviously, with the turnover in Philadelphia, just roster change, it's kind of a wait and see. Well, uh, we talked about maybe some of the tensions that could arise in the locker room over there in Philadelphia. We're starting to see that come to a head with a team out west as well, Golden State. You take Steph Curry out of the lineup, and they are just not as good. I mean, that's a no-brainer, but last night they lose in overtime to the Clippers. You start to see a little bit of a skirmish between two teammates, a verbal one, albeit, between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. And then you have a guy like Boogie Cousins, of all people, who's got the the cool, calm head, and he's the voice of reason in there. Draymond said when Boogie signed this summer that I'm going to clash with this guy. You know, he he said, you know, his personality's uh, maybe abrasive enough, uh, maybe emotionally invested, what have you. Draymond wears his heart on his sleeve. Kevin Durant certainly does that. Boogie does that. When you couple all these guys together, and they haven't even taken the floor yet as teammates, Boogie still has to come back from injury. I wonder what the Warriors are going to be like in the locker room, if there's going to be a little bit of a toxic environment there. I certainly don't get the feeling Kevin Durant is still going to be there next season. I think he's going to end up leaving Golden State, go somewhere and try to prove his legacy, because right now he's tired of everybody saying that he sold out just to get a ring and he joined an all-NBA team. So... My question to you is, how worried should the Warriors be as far as maybe the toxic locker room situation, and where would be a good fit for Kevin Durant next season? Well, geez, there are going to be so many teams. That free agency next year, there are some guys that, I mean, nobody's even talking about, like Chris Middleton's and Brooke Lopez's and even these second-tier free agents that could really go to some places and push a team over the edge as far as making them competitive. But even just talking about top-tier free agents like Durant, and you know, he could go any any number of places and pair with another. But is that what he's going to do? Is he going to try and 
or is he going to try and go to a team and, like you say, build his own team, build his own legacy? If he just goes to another team and that has is already established, if he just goes to L.A. and plays with LeBron, is that mm-hmm. really what he wants to do for his legacy, or is he even really concerned about that at all? I feel like he is. I, he's such an emotional player. and I mean, I like Kevin Durant. I know there's a lot of people who don't like Kevin Durant. And he has very thin skin, I think is a lot of it. You know, he's on social media replying to critics and everything. And you just got to stop. You just can't be doing that. Otherwise, it's not going to stop. I don't see any benefit to his career by going to a place like L.A. and playing in LeBron's shadow. I mean, that's going to do nothing to silence the critics. If he really wants to prove how good he is, he's got nothing left to accomplish at Golden State. He's won an MVP award. He's won a few titles. There's nothing more he can do there. I mean, it's not going to silence his critics. They're only going to get louder. He really wants to prove how good of a player he is. He'll go to a place like the New York Knicks. That's exactly what I was Mm going to say. Is he going to head to New York City? Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a big media market. You have a place that's starving for a superstar right now in New York. Basketball hasn't been good there in a while. They need somebody to come in and bring back the basketball tradition the Knicks had. And and that obviously the money's there. Uh, New York has some good young players, uh, one in particular that will be coming back from injury. Um, but just with Golden State in general now, they're going to win a lot of basketball games, and winning kind of really has a way of making everybody – get along a little better so just just with their situation in general right now i wouldn't think that there would be any type of you know guys guys just seem to find a way to get along and let bygones be bygones as long as they can win and that golden state team is going to win well we got to wrap up here in about a minute but i want to leave you with this if you took what the eastern conference looks like right now the top four teams, maybe Indiana just on the outside looking in, but you look at the Knicks and you put Kevin Durant on the team right now with Kristaps Porzingis, where would they stack up among the teams in the East right now? Would they crack that top five? And it, as of now, they would be right on the border, but there's like we were talking about before. Are the Bucks? Who are the Bucks going to lose? Are they going to be able to resign Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton? Probably not. They're certainly not going to be able to keep Lopez, Middleton, and Bledsoe. So they're gonna, there's going to be turnover there. Who are they? Who are they going to be able to bring in? Who are they going to lose? That's going to be the thing with so many other teams next year. The NBA just as a whole there's going to be so much turnover and so much change things could really look a lot different we've got charlie bramer in studio with us thanks for being here again man looking forward to talking next week thank you so much tanner have a good one i'm tanner hoops that's it for us join us again tomorrow four eastern three central here on espn up and the espn up app